We're going to look at the first 14 verses in Galatians chapter 3. Let's just kind of briefly go over where we've come this far in this letter. Um, this is one of those letters that you read when you're struggling uh, to try to find other things to follow other than to just simply trust in the gospel. Um, it is not the book that you go to for um, any number of things like just you don't just kind of go anywhere in the Bible for anything. You can, of course, be blessed by this no matter what place you are in your life. Um, this specific church and this specific time is not just one specific church. It is all churches, at least at some times. It is all Christians, at least at some times. And to be honest, it is um, really easy for us as American Christians to somehow think that there are external things, that there are things we must add to the gospel so that God truly accepts us. And no matter how much we say we believe in Christ, you know, one of the easy things, I do, I do this all the time where somebody will, um, especially because I'm one of those people who's like, oh yeah, well, you know, I already knew that, right? You know, I, I, my kids do that a lot with me. I already knew that. Like, okay, so why did you do that? Why did you do the other thing than the thing that you say that you know? If, you're, if you know it but don't do it, then there's something else that needs to be discussed, right? Well, in, in the letter to the Galatian church, we have this problem of essentially at the core, the Galatian church, the, 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 the people hearing from false teachers and buying into the idea that what they got from Paul, who started the church and he's writing this letter, when he, when he began it was preaching this gospel, what they got wasn't quite good enough. What he gave them was... Well, you know, let's take where you are now, talk about your sin, and give you Christ. And then these false teachers come in and they say, that's sort of like a good start. Now you must really become like Jews who are Christians. You must go through some of those rituals. The Old Testament scriptures must somehow still be fulfilled in you. And the problem is, is they've been fulfilled in Christ it is not that you complete them. It is that he has completed them. And so when we come as Christians, we're not coming adding the law. And we think of the law as Old Testament law, as God's rules, God's way, God's truths. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. Um, we can think of the Ten Commandments. We can think of um, the, the first five books of the Bible specifically as the law of God. So as we, as we look at that, we would go, okay, we're Christians, but now we need to add you know, the different rituals. We need to have the different practices. The, the men need to be circumcised, and, and we have cleanings and washings and all that stuff. And, and so somehow we need to sort of fold together what we would call Christianity or what was the, the church at the time and what was Judaism, so that you have these teachers um, that we would call the Judaizers, who are basically taking Christ and then adding more. And it seemed really good because the more was in their Bibles. They wouldn't call them Bibles at the time, but it was in the Torah. It was, it was in the scriptures that they had. The more was there. The problem is, is they were, and, and you guys all do this. So do I. It's, we, have to, we have to battle against it. It's selective reading. You do this, where you go, these are the verses, these are the books, these are the ones I really like. As a preacher, one of the things I have to teach myself is uh, I, I can't just go and pick the stuff that I really like. Or, or this, this, this letter in the Bible or this book or this writing, that's where I really like to go because it's really uplifting or it's really encouraging or it's really, you know, it teaches the kind of stuff that I feel like I'm good at teaching. This is why I like to go from the beginning of a book to the end of a book because there's always stuff somewhere in the middle of the book that I really would rather not preach on. But I need to. I don't want to just be a selective preacher. You, you, there's lots of churches around where the pastors are, or the preachers are, are, are sort of digging around going, what do I want to preach on? And they'll pick something. And it's not that that's bad. We, we do that all the time. But we also need to sometimes deal with those passages that I don't necessarily feel like preaching. So I don't want to be a selective preacher. And you don't want to be a selective reader. You don't want to only just go to the places and go, well, you know, we're going we're gonna to find certain Old Testament laws and sort of add those to Christianity. And, and we have our extra things. We don't have to go to the scriptures to do that either. We can do that kind of on our own. We can just say, well, Christianity is, I've believed in Jesus, and now I need to do this, 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 and this, and then God will be happy with me. 
Catholicism is that at its core. And, and this is a part of the problem, is that we have this ginormous organization of people, people whom we love, people who are our neighbors, people that my kids play baseball with and that I coach with and all of this, and, and, and people that I, I really care for and spend time with in our city. But the Catholic Church teaches us that it is Christ plus. This is why when Martin Luther and the Reformation happened at, at, at Luther's time and through some of the things that Luther did, he wasn't trying to bring a Reformation in the sense of leaving the Catholic Church, but reforming the Catholic Church, changing it by going back to the Scriptures and seeing what's wrong. And where did he go? Galatians. The, the great commentary that has lasted throughout Protestantism is Martin Luther's commentary on the letter to the Galatians. I encourage you, pick it up. Check it out. I mean, there's so many things that he's saying in there that I'm just, you know, I don't have the time as I go through Galatians to spend uh, and to say all the things that he said. But it is, it is rich and it is important that we understand that this is what we do. We take Christ and we add things to the gospel. The Galatian church was doing that. And up through the end of chapter 2, essentially what Paul is talking to them about is salvation. We are saved. We are saved when we stopped trusting in our moral efforts. When we stop trusting in our moral efforts, or, or we could call it law-keeping, and we die to it. Isn't that exactly where we go in Galatians 2 at the end? Um, a lot of you have memorized probably in your life, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so there's this great exchange in which we are dying to ourselves, to our own lives, and now it is Christ in us and through us. It is Christ who's truly living in us, and therefore everything is changed. That's what salvation means. If we don't die to self and live to God by faith in Christ, there is no hope for us. That's not Christianity extra. That's Christianity center. That's, that's, that's our core. What, what foundational principles do you live by in your life? It's a good question to ask. Not what foundational principles do you say you live by. It's different. Which ones do you actually live by? If, if you know, like the, the, the old saying that people have been saying for a long time, you want to find out what somebody finds as uh, uh, what's important to people, look at their checkbook. Or look at their schedule, not what they plan to do, but what they actually do, um, you know, or, or what your web history is, you know, how much time are you spending on Facebook, you know, with every little bit of, it's, it's, our, it's our little, you know, kind of selective gossip mill area of our lives. And, and so we, we need to go and to try to assess what, what is the foundational principle by which everything else flows out of, by which every decision we make comes back to that. And my guess is, in your own life, there are lots of decisions you make that don't go back to that, or that you at least don't consciously do it, because the foundational principle is something else other than the gospel. Because even for Christians, we can get so askew, we can go so astray, we can find something else, and, and usually it's, it's built upon this rickety you know, foundation, that, that we have Christ there, and then all of a sudden we try to do something else. It's like, you know, putting this massive foundation, right? It's solid, immovable. And then, you know, just grabbing a bunch of boards. We were at Menards the other day, and some guy, I just, I don't understand people who just buy wood. I, you know, a guy got a bunch of two-by-fours. My dad owns a construction company. I was always around just all this building material all the time. They owned their own crane, right? I mean, they just had these huge equipment, and then you'd go and, and I, would just, I, I would just walk through his shop and all this stuff, all this building material, all this raw material that was made into things. And they knew how to put it all together. And if I ever tried to take some, I, sometimes I'd go get some of the scrap wood, and I would just try to put it into something. And you know what I always put it together into? Nothing in particular. <laughs> Nothing that ever lasted beyond, like, yeah, that's horrible. Like, I would never use that. How do I fill all these gaps in between the wood? 
okay, let's just stick some glue in there and it'll make it better. I mean, I, you know, it, was just, it just was like, I should go do something else, like preach the gospel, because I can't build a stinking anything. Um, you should not be going in, right, you know? Not really because of that reason, but still, um, he understands. Um, now, my brother, he could do stuff. He could build stuff. I, I just couldn't do it. It just wasn't a part of who I was. But we all do it poorly when it comes to the foundation that is Christ. We all end up living in these little, dinky, leaky shacks of Christianity or whatever we want to call a life of faith. And, and I, I've, you know, I've talked with all of you at different times about different things, right? I've, I've talked with you. I've, I've spent time with you. And, and we've, we've discussed parts of our lives and things in our relationships and jobs and, and all of that. And one of, the, one of the things, and this isn't me speaking to you as if I've done it all right and I'm, I don't do anything wrong. But as, as one of us who are all struggling, we're all trying to build these weak things the minute we lose faith as the thing that we build off of. See, what's happened in the first two chapters of Galatians is Paul said, this is what salvation by faith looks like. This is what it really is. You guys have pushed it aside. Here's what it really is. This is salvation by faith. This is what real justification by faith is, that we are counted righteous in Christ. Okay? So he deals with salvation. And then in chapter 3, he starts to really deal with sanctification. Now, this is what is important to note. If you don't get anything else I say today, get this, and then get everything else too, but this is, this is central, right? Um, when Paul moves from salvation to sanctification, though some of the things he'll talk about will be different things, as he eventually gets in, especially as we get to chapters 4 and 5 and start looking at some other stuff, you'll start to see all this sort of blossom out. You'll see it all kind of grow, but it blossoms out from the same core. In other words, we are not just saved by faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, but we are sanctified. We grow mature. That's what sanctified means, to mature in Christ. We are sanctified exactly the same way. What you need today is not something that comes after the gospel. We start with the gospel and we continue through the gospel. It's, it is all gospel. So you don't take the gospel start and then go, okay, now what? Now go build something on, you know, this foundation. Because you're going to build something like I used to build things horribly. What you need to do is, as Christ builds the foundation, you didn't build the foundation. You had faith that God had built the foundation in Christ. That what he did at the cross is what took away your sin. So if that's where you started, we need to continue to go there. So let's look at Galatians 3. I told uh, Scott Broderick, I said, um, you always know it's going to be a good Sunday when uh, the first three words of your passage start like this. Oh, foolish Galatians. Right? That's just one of those great passages. Isn't it, isn't it great? He's writing to the church. How would you like it if like, one of the first things that was said to you as a church, you know, Dan comes up to lead worship, and he says, oh, foolish Doxinians or whatever. Doxins. <laughs> you would be like, I'm not going to sing this guy's songs. I don't care what kind of rock of ages you're singing about, right? So, oh, foolish Galatians. Now, of course, Paul has gotten them there. He's shown them where their errors have been. But listen to what he says here. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You know, right? Um, Think think about just the the terminology. You got to get this. You got to get this. In in the Old Testament and in in the law, to say bewitched, to talk about something pagan in religion is absolutely like, whoa. I mean, this is like horrid. You know, it would be like, I don't even know how to compare it to our age because we're so kind of loosey-goosey with everybody. Everybody has to be our friend. We don't want to offend anybody. To the Jews, to talk about something to do with pagan religion would be so offensive. It'd be like saying, it'd be like, who, who has Satanized you? Something like that. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And we know who has bewitched them, at least, at least externally, is these false teachers. So they're, they're foolish, Paul says, 
and they're bewitched. They've, they have somehow succumbed to another power that is guiding them. That's why Jesus can say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. If, if by the way, and, and there's really dumb Christians say dumb things, but it's okay for another Christian that you trust to look at you and say, get behind me, Satan. Because if, it doesn't mean, you know, it's like Jesus is not sinful and Peter was sinful, but the purpose still remains. You've got to be really careful with it because I don't want you just, just don't go around today just going, I need to find a Christian I can call Satan for a minute, right? Um, but what you need to do is realize that we all, we all, I mean, we talk about this in our marriage, we all can do the work of Satan at any moment. It, it, it's happened in this building many times, to me, sometimes to you, it can happen through me when I preach, which is why I need to not come preaching something other than the Bible. The minute I start preaching something else, you guys should be like, okay, stop it. Like, what are you doing? Take, give us this. Satan doesn't go, he's preaching the Bible. That's, that's great for me. That's not what Satan does. It's, it's what he runs from. So, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Get that? Was, was Jesus publicly crucified in front of the Galatians? I mean, he, was, it, was he in Galatia? Right? Yeah, I mean, this is, not, this is not where he was. But look at the language he uses. It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. It's as if to say th those who've been given the gospel have the crucifixion of Christ portrayed to them. That's... That's interesting. I mean, do you get that? You can, at any time that you start telling someone the gospel, publicly portray the crucifixion of Christ to someone else. I, I, I'm, I'm shocked at how much we as Christians understand what God is planning to do and wanting to do through us. We, we are paralyzed by all the stuff around us that's so much fun. You know, we're, I'm going to take the boys sledding today. And they're going to try to get me to sled, but I like living, and so I probably will be very careful about that. I'll have my brakes on the whole time, you know, my Flintstones brakes, um, as I head down the hill, uh, if they can convince me to actually go. But I'm, I'm, more, I'm, I'm more the guy at the top who wants to throw them so hard that they crash really hard, you know, when they go over a jump or do something. Um, but, you know, it's, it's fun. It's a, it's a distraction. It's, it's exercise. It's, it's an enjoyable time. My kids love to do it. But if we just go, you know what? I just really want to get into just full-time sledding. Let's just, let's just do it. When the snow melts, I'm going, to, I'm going to buy a snow machine. Okay, some of you are going, this is a great plan, right? You know, it's like, this sounds like a lot of fun. Um, Sean had Nadia up here, and we had like, oh, like this much snow, right, when she was here over Christmas time. And uh, so they come over to the house, and we have to like scrape the dirt off of one of the sleds on the side of the house and just try to slide her down. You know, we're like, we're like foaming it with like Gillette and stuff just to make it helpful. Not really. We didn't actually do that. Um, but that would have been smart. I didn't think about it. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun thing to do. But it's like, it's like taking that and making that everything. And so with the Galatian church and with every church, with every Christian everywhere, when the gospel is proclaimed... It's before your very eyes that Christ is publicly portrayed as crucified. And let me ask you only this. You know, it's always great when Paul asks a question. Because Paul's rarely just going, hey, uh, I want to ask you guys a question because of your vast wisdom. Paul, when he's saying, let me ask you a question, he's saying, I'm going to ask you a question that's going to put you into a corner. And by the way, it's another thing. Sanctifying Christians, the Christians who are growing in their faith, are people who are willing to be put in a corner so that their hypocrisies can come out, so that their, their flawed thinking, their, their illogic, right? It, it's, it's known. So when somebody says, okay, so if that's true, then what about this? Uh, I think I've told you guys the story of the professor in one of my classes who one guy was like, well, didn't the Apostle Paul, you know, he didn't know as much as we know. I mean, we have all the Bible now. He didn't have the whole Bible and so didn't the Apostle Paul, like, not know, like, some of the stuff that we know? He wouldn't really be able to explain, like, justification by faith in the way that we could, simply because even though he talked about it, we have all of this other knowledge since then. It's, and the professor, you know, without just t picking him up and ripping his face off, um, 
He, he basically did that. And you know how he did it? He asked him questions. And through a series, it was like a 10-minute, like uh, you know, to where this guy eventually was like laying on the floor begging God for forgiveness and the professor as the fourth member of the Trinity also. Um, so you can't have four members in the Trinity because it's a try. But still, um, okay, that was just one of those illogical things. I want to make sure you did got that right, Vic. Um, but so, so the, the best thing he could do at that point is not just go, here's why you're wrong and just explain it. Like that, you could, he'd hear that and he might go, but still I have my reasons. But instead he asked him questions. It, it's, it's what's called, and I've heard apologists call it this, it's making people open up inside their own assumptions. It's making people open up inside their own assumptions. What do they already assume? What do they already sort of have a judgment about or already believe that's false, ask them questions that sort of turn them on their head. I was having a conversation recently with somebody and I asked some certain questions of this person and the person looked at me and they were like, I have nothing to say. Like, I, I don't know how to answer. And I was like, well, because if you answer, you know that you're guilty of something. I'm asking you the question so that you come to that conclusion, not so that I come to it. Paul does the same thing. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive the Spirit when the Spirit comes on us as Christians? Do we receive the Spirit by keeping the law or by having faith? Which one was, what's the right answer? By having faith. You don't keep the law and then all of a sudden the Spirit goes, he's kept enough law. The Galatians should know this. This should be a nice, easy, simple answer for them. How did you receive the Spirit? By works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, because that's the right answer, having begun by the Spirit, are you being perfected by the flesh? The, 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 the law can only work on your flesh. In other words, it, it is the thing that just tells us kind of what to do, right? It, it sort of is like, you, you know, when you go out and you follow traffic laws, you're following these things. It's, it's causing your body, your flesh to do certain things. And there are certain motivations behind why you would want to keep it or why you might want to break it. And we do. And so what Paul is saying is this. You, you began by the Spirit. It's obvious. You know the answer to that question. So you began by the Spirit. Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Why would God start with the Spirit that builds this amazing foundation and then begin to build upon it by going, okay, now that I've given you this great foundation, go to, go to work, and now you've got to do the rest yourself. Now you've got to somehow build it up on your own. Now you've got to hopefully have enough skill to make it all work, and that is not simply like just trying to grow. It is how you how you know whether or not you're actually saved. You understand? He's not just saying, because in sanctification, it's not as if we don't have works. Matter of fact, it says in the scriptures that we were made by God to do good works. That we are his workmanship for good works. So he has planned those out for us even before he saves us. And then once we're saved, those good works are there for us to do. The point is this. If those good works were planned before... Are they your good works that achieve something in the eyes of God? Are they the things that make you acceptable? Or are they the things that were already planned for you to do once you're acceptable? Right? It should be a nice, simple answer. Except that we continue to do what the Galatians do, which is we start with the Spirit and then we go, okay, we've come, we've come to church on Sunday and we've heard the Bible and the Holy Spirit has spoken to us. Now I'm going to go the rest of the week and work in my own power. Now I'm going to go build in my own way. Now I'm going to go and do things in my own strength. He's asking a question, but you know that the question has its own answer. Did you suffer so many things? This is verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Did you, did you suffer so many things in vain? In other words, if you're doing those works, then, and it's causing, you know, whatever... Uh, you know, suffering in itself, you're going to go, okay, well, works takes effort and it causes whatever problems. But faith results in suffering. And if you're now doing it by works, if Christ suffers, right, for us, then what good does that suffering do once it all depends upon us? It's going to end up being in vain. So, 
does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So if God started the work by the Spirit and we don't continue it by the law, don't continue it by the flesh, now what happens? Now what happens? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, in other words, that ongoing work of the Spirit, that ongoing work of the Spirit in our lives, if that's how God is doing it, does he do that work by his Spirit, by the works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Meaning, are you somehow earning it? Are you going, well, the Spirit did this because I've been really good lately. I've been really good, so that's why God has done things for me. The, the minute we start doing that, God will bring things into your life to try to teach you otherwise, and they won't usually be very happy things. Because he wants you to trust him. He wants it to be faith. He wants, it, he, he wants to be the one you point to and say, it's all him. It's all him. And, and there's, a, there's a fake way of doing this. You know, I remember seeing this in churches and in other places where, you know, people couldn't just kind of go, like when, when somebody comes up to me and says good sermon, you know, every six months or so it happens, uh, one person might try that. Um, it's usually a new person. The people who've been around long enough know better. But when, when somebody does that, my response is, you know, not, not like I really worked hard on that one, you know, because I, I, I don't, I'm, I, and that, but I also have, you know, some of you are like this too. You have a hard time sort of accepting praise. And so there's this weird place where you don't quite know what to say. And so kind of what I've learned to say, and I say it because I mean it, is I'm so glad that God used it in you. You know, praise God that he did something. Because I can't do it. It's like the prayer I prayed before I preached today, and that I, you've heard me pray that kind of prayer before. I can't go and just try to make it work. I can't, you know, I can't go read enough books and find some sermon outlines and talk to the best scholars and pastors and listen to a sermon series done by Alistair Begg or somebody that I really have a lot of respect for that did Galatians. I can't go do that and then try to pull out all the best wisdom. And I tell you what, I tell you right now, I could make this sermon sound so much more appealing. I, I mean, I'm serious about this. If I went and I really just listened to all those other preachers to try to glean with, they all have such clever things that are said and, and they're so sharply worded, just perfect. Just, uh, just, you hear them and you just go, man, that's so great. I can make my sermon sound like that. But how is that any better than me getting up here and just reciting it in a boring way? Unless the Spirit attends it. Right? Unless the Spirit does the work, all of my words are in vain. All the things I would say aren't going to amount to anything. Does he who supplies the Spirit in you and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He does it, he does it because of faith. He says, and he uses Abraham as the example. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was Abraham's faith. He wasn't accepted by what he did. He accepted because of what he believed his deep and abiding trust in what God said he would do. Verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. This is big. This is huge, monstrous, in your face, especially for a church that is falling into, I've got Christ plus other things. Now, we don't, in, at least in most churches that we know of, we don't have people around usually going, here's the gospel, go, then go all to the Old Testament and then keep these other things too. Hopefully we're, we, and I, at least what I hear is we do pretty well in saying other things and in, in, in realizing the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Christ. But we had other stuff. But for these guys, the Old Testament was the thing. So then to hear this would be shocking. Know then that it is, that is, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Meaning, it was, it was believed, it was very common to believe if you were a Jew, born a Jew, you are from the line of Abraham. Because all the children through Abraham, what is the promise to Abraham? Through his son, you're gonna, your offspring are going to be like the, the sand it's going to be like the stars. It's going to be like, 
you know, the balls in the ball pit at Burger King, you know, probably more than that. But you know what I'm saying? It's going to be an awful lot. It's going to be just this, this enormous number. It's like, it's not even tr worth trying to put a number on it because we don't have categories for how many people are going to be the offspring. So there's all these who are the offspring of Abraham, yet Paul says what? It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And so if you don't have faith, even though you're a son of Abraham by the flesh, you're not by the spirit, and that's the, that's the one of the two. That's the one that you need. So you can go around saying, I'm, I'm a son of Abraham, you know, if you're a Jew at, at the time, especially, you'd say, I'm a son of Abraham. That's the point. And then the, the response would, the right response would be, it's not unless you're of the same faith as Abraham. So know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. You see that? So the, the Gentiles, there's only two kinds of people in this way of speaking, at least. There's the Jews and the Gentiles or the Jews and the Greeks. Um, you have the, the God-fearing Jews, and then you have the non-God-fearing Gentiles. And there were always, you know, some converts and things like that along the way. Um, but notice this point. When, when God makes the promise to Abraham, remember the story of God. We went through, we talked about the covenants. We talked about the covenant of Abraham. And then we talked about the covenant uh, with Moses, that God made with Moses, and how that was, was not kind of on its own or not an extra covenant like on you know, that, that, that overcomes the covenant, of, the, the covenant of Abraham, the covenant God has with Abraham is the one that God keeps alone. The covenant with Moses is the one that God keeps only if his people, people his people keep it, right? So it, it is dependent, God's blessings in the covenant of Moses is dependent as a nation upon whether or not that nation is obeying God. When they disobey, curse. When they obey, a blessing. But that all comes after the covenant with, with Abraham, which is, I am going to give you a land. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your offspring like the sand. It's going to be like the stars. And so you can't even count them. And then the nations of the whole world will be blessed. And that's where, to, to be a Jew and to not go, God eventually has a plan for all the world. To only focus on yourself and your nation is to miss the key promise of God or the key covenant of God with Abraham. And so it says, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, so knowing that the Gentiles were eventually going to come in, foreseeing that, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, remember I told you last week, those of you who were here, I told you there isn't a different way to be saved in the Old Testament than the New Testament. You're always saved by faith. You're always saved by faith in God and faith in the promise that God would redeem his people. Before, it was before Christ, it was looking forward to what God would do. After Christ, is looking backward toward what Christ did do. Right? So, the, the scriptures, knowing, knowing that this is going to happen, the priest of the gospel beforehand to Abraham, beforehand to Abraham, in you, shall the nations, all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So if you're a Gentile and you have faith, you're, you're a son of Abraham. You're just, you're just the same. You're, you're accepted by God just the same. No matter where you are, no matter what nation you go to. And this is why when we preach the gospel, it is crucial that we preach it to all people because some are going to come and believe and God has sons and daughters that he is going to bring in all over the place. It is the promise to Abraham, and through the promise to Abraham, now we are fulfilling by going and preaching the gospel all over the world and preaching the gospel exactly where we are. So the promise, the covenant with Abraham, God is going to bless all the nations, is being fulfilled in Gentiles in Galatia, believing in the gospel. Now they have the same faith as Abraham. And Paul essentially is making the point here, Abraham agrees with me. If you want, if you want to hear these false teachers and start to add things to the gospel, 
My argument, remember Paul talks about his own authority as an apostle. He talks about, here's why I say the things that I say. Here's the original gospel I preached. I went to Jerusalem. They agreed with me. I went to these places. They agreed with me. I went to these places. All the apostles agree. All these guys, everything, everybody agrees. And when, when Cephas, when Peter didn't agree, I went and got in his face about it. When, when people kind of put pressure, we didn't let them pressure us into doing those things. So he, he shows all of this, but now he's saying not only that, but you would say that you're sons of Abraham, right? Wouldn't you? To be a son of Abraham, you have to have faith. It is done by faith. And what is started by faith, what is started by the Spirit, ends by faith and ends by the Spirit. And the reason I'm interchanging faith and Spirit there is because when you have faith in what God has done, it's the Spirit that does the work, not you. Right? Verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Okay, now that's, that's where it gets serious. You want to know why you're foolish? There it is. It is all who rely on works of the law, rely on works of the law, are under a curse. In my Bible, just the way it lined up, the word rely directly is above curse, and I circled both of them in one big circle to show that it is that reliance, it is that dependence upon works that lead you to be under the curse, under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. If the book of the law is something that must be completely kept, and the book of the law itself says that, it must be completely kept, then what happens if you don't keep it? You're cursed, right? It is the result of it is that you're cursed because you cannot keep it. And the one who's guilty of not keeping it is merely guilty. There is no cosmic scale of God by which you weigh good works and bad works. It doesn't exist. Here's God's scale. You did one bad work. Kaput. Done. There's nothing in the future you can do to fix it. You can't change it. You can't go back and undo it. You can't do enough good things to overcome it. It's one and done. Ooh, that was one and done. Must be a football day. Um, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. It's evident, okay? If I haven't made my point, Paul's saying by this point, you won't accept the point. You just, you're just, the, you're foolish. It is evident by all these arguments, by all this description, by talking about Abraham, by talking about the apostles, talking about the original gospel that was preached to them. That no one is justified by God. No one is counted righteous. No one is declared righteous before God. You, you cannot be declared righteous before God by the law. By somehow doing enough good. For the righteous shall live by faith. That's from Habakkuk. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Now, this is where we get into a, a, a section that can be difficult for some people. Um, it is obviously very rich and important. But just listen to this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. The, the, the original promise, right? So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. It's exactly what God said beforehand is going to happen, or that he was going to accomplish, would be accomplished. That's how God would accomplish it. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Not through works, not by the law, but through faith. Now, this is an important point to make, and I just want to make sure we don't miss it. In this last section here, he gives three Old Testament scriptures. It's Leviticus, Habakkuk, and Deuteronomy. And as he goes through those Old Testament verses, as he goes to Abraham, I mean, there's not a whole lot more you can do. I'm giving you Abraham, I'm giving you Moses, I'm giving you the Old Testament, I'm giving you prophets. He is saying all of it. All of it's the same thing. If you are selectively reading and selectively understanding so that you think that you need to keep the law as well, you've missed the point. You don't have to go to Christ and what he says about the law. You don't have to, 
you can understand it from the Old Testament alone. When we get it from Christ, he, he often sometimes makes it simpler for us or does things with it that help us when we are mistaken. But he, to go to the Old Testament, when Paul would go reason from the Scriptures, he'd reason from the Old Testament. This is who Christ would be. This is what he would do. This is what he would accomplish. This is how he would do it because it's all there. In the Old Testament, it's also very clear it is by faith, not works, and that the law simply is going to end up revealing our sin to us. It's going to make our rebellious hearts obvious to us. And unfortunately, it's going to make it obvious to the world because when we don't keep God's rules, it shows up not just in our own personal lives. You guys have done some big mess up things in front of other people, around other people. You've done it around your own kids. You've done it around your parents. You've done it around just, you know, in schools, at work. You've done it. One of the best things you can do is ask somebody to forgive you. You want to know why? Tell me how many people have come up to you and asked your forgiveness. Not just said sorry. How many people at your job, how many people in your family full of non-Christians, how many people at your school filled with lots of non-Christians, how many people on your, on your street, in your neighborhood have come up to you and said, hey, would, would you forgive me for this? I'd, would you do that? What, what would be the massive implications of showing people you're a mess? You think somehow that would hurt your witness to Christ. When Christ is the one telling you you're a bigger mess than anybody around you knows. So what would happen? I, I said this to someone else this week. What would happen if one church would just determine that whenever people sinned in any kind of public way, they went and asked the forgiveness of the people that they sinned around or near or to? If Christians really said, you know what, I... I've just been really prideful. I've, I've not loved you the way I should love you as a neighbor, as a coworker. I've not, yeah, don't, don't be weird, you know, don't go up to that hot chick at work and be like, I haven't loved you like I was supposed to love you. I mean, <laughs> let's not be dumb, right? Okay, we don't want to be ridiculous. But, but to go up to that coworker and say, look, I've basically seen you as a competitor and we're supposed to be working together. Your workplace would be turned upside down before you get to the gospel. And that, what's, what are people going to do when you do that? Well, they're living by something, some other principle, some other founding principle, some other hope than what I'm living by. Because I'm not going to go make myself that open. Some of you are going, well, I can't do that at my job because if I do that, I'll look like the weak one and then I'll get fired. Okay? And following Jesus means what to you? Keeping jobs, only being to a certain level of honest. I'm not telling you to go, if everybody goes and gets fired this week, I'm going to be mad at you next week, okay? So uh, you, that means you didn't hear me fully. So let's, let's at least be a little bit careful. But my, my point is this. One of the most radical things you can do, and I'm not saying this is another gospel or another way to do it. I'm saying it, it reveals the gospel. It shows you. Your, if, if your good works is, I'm going to go shovel somebody's driveway, that's a, that's a great thing. Go help your neighbor. Okay, I'm, I'm encouraging you. <clears throat> go do something like that. I'm your neighbor, and my driveway still has snow in it. If anybody wants to go there after church, uh, there's a shovel right downstairs. You can just head over. Um, but, but seriously, I like, you know, I've done that for neighbors. Go and shovel their driveway, shovel their sidewalk, help, help them out, and it's a blessing to them. But I have lost neighbors do the same thing. Got a guy in my street. He's got his little snowblower, and they'll just go everywhere. And they don't know Jesus from Adam. I mean, you know, they just, they don't. And, and, and so the difference that you can make, the, the, the difference that you can show between you and them, between your shovel and their shovel, is not your shovel. It's not your speed. It's not, you know, how much you can get out there. It's not that you can beat them to the punch, right? I got there before you and your snowblower. It's that you show that Christ just doesn't have you go do good works, but that you are relying on faith. If you, if you go shovel snow, you might be relying on works. If you go ask your coworker for forgiveness, 
for something they didn't even realize, maybe. I've really, I've held some resentment against you. I mean, I haven't done anything to you, maybe, or whatever, but I've, I've held some resentment against you because you, you got that one job, or you got that one raise, or you got that one thing, or, you know. I, and to be honest, I, I'm not going to even try to defend myself. I was just wrong for that. Would you forgive me? I want to try to be a better coworker with you. We don't have to be best friends or anything. Just, could you imagine? I mean, could you imagine? You know how you can do that? The, the motivation behind that? Here's the motivation. You are stupid. Like, really, really dumb. And so am I. Okay? That's it's obvious. We're, we're, we're a complete mess. We're just jacked up. How many words? We should just get a whiteboard and start writing down the many different ways we can describe how truly awful we are in our hearts without Christ, right? We could do that. We could display all of that. But this is what must change us, okay? This is what must change us. Listen, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. By becoming a curse. He did not get this. Please hear me. This is the very end. And everybody wants to put stuff in their purse. Sean, stop putting stuff in your purse. <clears throat> you don't have a purse, right? Okay. <clears throat> just, just making sure. It's just, yeah, it's a man bag. It's a satchel. Um, listen, that's, it's, honestly, I got, a, I got a purse. It's just giant. You know, it's just a satchel. So whatever. Um, The, the difficulty here, and the thing we can miss, and, and the controversy here is that, and, and it probably, I'm probably guilty of doing it even in some of my preaching, because you, just, you can't always try to say everything exactly in, with such a perfect, sharp edge sometimes. And there's multiple ways of saying certain things, so it won't always come out in every conversation about it. But this is what this says. Christ did not just take our curse and carry it on his shoulders. He became it. You can try to figure out all the nuances and theology behind how to explain, well, it couldn't actually be a curse because how could the Son of God who never sinned actually be a curse? If he wasn't actually a curse, you are still in your sin and you're still cursed. This says, read it one more time, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Your only hope is that not that God would just treat him like a curse, even though he wasn't, but that the curse actually had to be really transferred to him. If I go pay a random bank your $10,000 debt bill, and it's a random bank and not your bank, you still have debt. I've got to find yours, and I've got to deal with yours, and if I don't deal with yours and actually pay that debt, the real debt, you're still in debt. Christ became the curse for us. Get that through your head. Get it in there. He became a curse. He was hanged on a tree. God the Father turned away from him. It was so radical that an earthquake happened. It turned dark. And the son cried out, why have you forsaken me? He didn't say, why have you forsaken me? He forsook him so that he would not have to forsake you. And get this, because of Christ actually becoming a curse for us, you actually are treated fully righteous without being it yourself. And, and yet, when we talk about you, you are a holy one of God. If you repented of your sins trusted in Christ and what he's done at the cross, and that's all you stand on. You are holy 
You are righteous. That is shocking good news. It is radical. You are not going out there to get people something extra, something new and interesting. You're not trying to get them a great worship experience. You're not trying to make them hear a great worship band. You're not trying to get them into something where people get a lot of clever sayings with lots of little rhymes and lots of interesting cadence. You get a God who sends his own son to go on a tree and die naked ashamed. Why? Because he's the curse. So that if we trust in what he did, we get everything else. Which is why we're not only justified by faith, we are sanctified by faith. We grow by faith. The only way you're going to change what you do today is to not try to go do the works that you think will make God happy, but is to trust in Christ. And once you've done that, when you really are placing your faith in Christ, suddenly those works start to flow out of you. He who abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, John 15. Your job is not to work, it's to abide. And you do that by faith, faith in Christ alone. Will you stand with me for closing prayer? An old hymn says it this way. Lay your deadly doing down. Doing in quotes. You're doing. Lay your deadly doing down. Down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone. Gloriously complete. Somebody heard, understood the gospel and wrote a hymn with these beautiful words, it is what Christ has done, not what you do. Your, your doing is deadly to you. And the only way for you to do anything of any value in the kingdom of God is to stop trying to do anything of value for your soul. Meaning to gain God's acceptance. And do it because you're already accepted in Christ. Let's pray. Father, some of us in this room are thinking of other people who need to hear this and not hearing it ourselves as well as we need to, and so we pray this message would resonate, that you would cause it to ring in our ears by your Holy Spirit's work in us and to us, and that the greatest work of this sermon would not be that I put any effort into it, but that you will now do the work, that the word has gone out and you will work in us through it. May we lay our deadly doing down and stand gloriously complete in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you.